Welcome to Centering Centers, a pod network podcast that explores the work of centers of teaching and learning and the vision and insights of educational developers in higher education. The pod network is North America's largest educational development community, supporting members' professional learning through meaningful and sustained interaction. This podcast is an initiative led by the Digital Resources and Innovation Committee of POD. To get more involved in the DRI committee or this podcast, just send us an email at dri at podnetwork.org. This is episode 12 of our series entitled Cultivating Our Common Humanity, a Contemplative Practices Program. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Ileana Hernandez at Florida International University. Welcome. I am so excited to speak with Ileana Hernandez today, direct from Miami. Um, She's at Florida International University. She's the Assistant Director of Assessment, Evaluation, and Development. And she's also a licensed psychotherapist. So I'm going to really enjoy this free session with her. (laughs) And uh, we get to uh, hear about uh, a wonderful initiative called Contemplative Practices in Education today. Um, But before we get started, I just want to welcome you, Ileana, and uh, have you tell us a little bit about your role and your center um, so that those of us listening at other centers for teaching and learning in different parts of the country kind of get a feel for your context. Sure. Well, first, thank you so much, Laura, for having me on here. And it's so great to put a face to a name and to be able to connect with you for this time that we have together. Uh, So let's see. I'm at, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm at the Center for the Advancement of Teaching. We're most commonly known as just CAT, C-A-T. And we're in the office of the provost uh, as part of the faculty leadership and success unit. Um, We are five educational developers in total, um, and we are all professionals in a variety of disciplines. Uh, For example, psychology. So as you mentioned, that would be me and another colleague of mine is also in psychology or studied psychology. social work, linguistics, adult education, a variety of, of, of disciplines. Um, so we're just five uh, folks and we build our capacity by working with a lot of faculty fellows. We're very lucky in that respect. So every semester I would say we have about six to 10 fellows. Uh, so that's a huge help. Um, and we work with individual educators, you know, we do traditional things like consultations, we go into the classrooms, do mid-semester feedback sessions with students, Uh, we work with groups of faculty, we do, um, for example, faculty reading groups, um, which faculty, faculty love. Um, Yes, and, and, and the, The population, your student body, it's funny, I have an aunt who went to FIU uh, as an adult, she returned to school. uh, And I remember she, she loved her experience at FIU. Some of, some of us listening may not know that much about the kind of student body you serve. Um, Can you give us a little feel for that? Yeah, uh, we are a, we're technically a Hispanic serving institution. Um, We are mainly a commuter college. So 
not many of our students, you know, stay on campus. Um, and most of our students work. Um, yes. I, I went to FIU as an undergrad and, you know, I had to work. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, our students come with so many strengths and, and it's just so much diversity and it, it, it's just beautiful, you know, to have um, so many um, um, backgrounds represented, you know, um, cultures represented. But there are also challenges, you know, because our students, um, a lot of them have to work. So they're trying to balance so much, right? Yes. And when we're working with faculty, we, we, we really have to think about that. You know, uh, we have to keep that in mind when we're doing consultations and considering, you know, how to engage and motivate, you know, our students and whatnot. Absolutely, absolutely. Always, yeah. It sounds um, very similar to where, where I am um, at CUNY at Hunter College, similar. And I, I'm really, really grateful that you're sharing um, your knowledge with us because one of the goals of this podcast is to really represent a diverse range of uh, settings for centers. And, um, and I think perhaps I'm guessing your initiative is in some way related to the um, the unique kind of challenges, perhaps that your student body and your faculty um, have to negotiate, and so I think you're so well positioned to to help us with with uh, the sort of the mindful side of teaching, not just more Zoom tools and all of that, and the more syllabus redesign, but something much deeper. Yeah. So tell us a little about how your initiative kind of was conceived, you know, was there a particular need or issue or something that happened that um, sparked it? How did it get started? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think you just touched up on uh, that with when you were talking about, that, you know, we have certain needs, but I think um, the initiative started more from an acknowledgement of the challenges of just being human to so like general needs, you know, human needs. Um, we are, you know, because we're part of the teaching and learning center, the primary focus initially was faculty and students, right? But in our vision for the initiative, we really consider the university as a whole. Um, and we know that people are burnt out, that they're struggling with various challenges anxiety, difficulties, concentrating. Um, there's just so much going on. Uh, and it's, you know, it's the pandemic right now, even though, of course, you know, again, there's just general human, the challenges that come with being human, right? So this dated pre-pandemic, actually the, the initiative started, you know, before the pandemic, but right now there's just, you know, the last year and a half really has been heavy um so yeah. when did it get started exactly uh i would say almost uh about two and a half years ago yeah okay. so we're, re we're we're fairly new yeah that's wonderful yeah so, so tell us a little about um what kind of programming or services that kind of fall under this umbrella of contemplative practices 
Okay, so when we started, um, my 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 colleague and friend, uh, Paul Feigenbaum, he really hit the ground running with the idea of like getting a faculty work group together, and you know start meeting to discuss um, our mission and our vision and start brainstorming programming. <coughs> excuse me to address the needs that we saw in the university community. So we started by offering monthly workshops that um, that supported ongoing reflection and exchange about how faculty, how our faculty were implementing contemplative practices into their teaching um, and scholarship. And through these workshops, we realized that way more faculty than we thought had their own regular practice, you know, and were already incorporating practices such as mindfulness into their courses. So that was really neat to see. Um, we also added reading groups uh, to offer an opportunity for interdisciplinary conversations about the use and benefits of contemplative practices, specifically in the context of higher education. Um, for example, uh, this semester, my colleague, she's also um, part of the work group, Rosie Losada, she's facilitating a group on Rhonda McGee's book, which is called The Inner Work of Racial Justice, uh, Healing Ourselves and Transforming Our Communities Through Mindfulness. And I'm facilitating a group from, or on David uh, Trevelyan's book, Trauma-Sensitive Mindfulness, Practices for Safe and uh, transformative healing. Yeah, that's what the book's called. And, um, and I'm facilitating this because I wanna just like make sure that when, when faculty do incorporate these practices into their teaching, they're doing so in a way that's trauma-informed, right? Because, you know, for, we do no harm, right? That's, that's the compass. So um, we also have a speaker series um, and we had Rhonda McGee, for example, uh, facilitate a talk and she also did workshops with faculty and even administrators around the topic um, of racial justice work. Um, and we had the meditation teacher, Diana Winston. I don't know if you've heard of Diana Winston. She's at UCLA's Mindful uh, Awareness Research Center. And she talked just in general about the use of mindfulness in higher education. And, and it was very experiential, which was very cool. You know, um, it was, she was she came as a keynote address for this annual showcase that we have that's called the faculty innovations for student success showcase mm -hmm. um and it was i would say in the like five years maybe that we've done this showcase it was the most well attended it was huge group you know it was a big wow. room and it was full of educators um to hear about uh, how, how can I, you know, uh, uh, incorporate this into my life and also into my, uh, into my teaching. So that was really cool to see. And after that, she facilitates this, um, live online course called, uh, the, uh, on mindful awareness practices. It's called maps. Mm -hmm. And we got a cohort of faculty and they went through the, I think it's a six week or eight week course, um, and those faculty have since told us that, you know, uh, they now have a regular practice because of the course and they're, 
you know, incorporating it into their teaching. And so that's been, that's been really nice to see. And lastly, we do have Mindful Mondays. It's the first and third Monday of every month. I love facilitating Mindful Mondays. Um, I'm one of three facilitators and it's just a short 30 minute restorative break. Um, or we hope that it's a, you know, yes. a restorative break. And um, we do it on Mondays because we hope that it sets the tone for at least their Monday. And we're very ambitious and hope that it maybe sets the tone for their week. You know, who knows? What do you so, do in the Mindful Monday? So at first we just have a little bit of time to just check in, you know, folks share, you know, where they're at, share a word or two, you know, about just kind of drop into their body. And, and then we do a short um, practice. Um, we can do, I, for example, the, the, the last Mindful Monday, I facilitated um, a practice that is to cultivate uh, compassion for others. So it's, it's called, it's a just like me. I don't know if you've ever heard. Yeah, it's slash common humanity uh, practice where you, you know, you are invited to bring to mind someone that maybe you're, you have a little bit of conflict with. We, do, we say, don't choose the most <laughs> difficult person in your life right now, you know, through this practice. But, um, and then you say certain phrases, you know, for example, um, as you have that person in mind, you know, this person has felt pain um, and suffering just like me. Uh, you know, this person can have moments of sadness um, and fear just like me, or can, you know, have moments of joy and peace just like me. So again, it's that cultivation of mm. common humanity. And in, when we are struggling, you know, and we can feel like we're alone with our suffering, you know, um, with our challenges, it's also a really nice practice to remember, you know, um, this is a common human experience. Other people are struggling just like me. Yeah. That's beautiful. I actually did it as you were saying it, and I did oh. feel my hostility going down a little bit. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it really can it's be very... impactful. Yeah. So I should have asked this to start with. So let me back up a bit and just how do you, how does your initiative define contemplative practices? Yeah. And I know there's a lot of in it, but I'm just thinking, so for, from the perspective of the audience of the podcast, so, you know, other people who are working with faculty development in some way, uh, probably with centers, um, you know, a university leadership might say like, why, what is that? What, why do we need to spend time or energy on that? It's, you know, how does it impact the teaching and learning outcomes? And, and we'll get to that in a minute because I know you have an assessment there in your title. Um, so you're probably thinking always in that way, what are the, what are the impact factors? But how, how did you go about sort of defining it and in such a way that was palatable or of, of interest to, let's say, leadership or administration? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, what, it, what are contemplative practices? Uh, that is the question. Um, and what can fall into a contemplative practice is, con con yeah, contemplative practice, it, it can be very hazy. 
Um, but I would say in general, um, we would say that it's training that emphasizes self-awareness, um, self-regulation, like emotion regulation, um, and or self-inquiry. I would say that self-inquiry, like that insight is like key, right? Um, <clears throat> to cultivate, you know, wisdom and self-understanding and compassion and well-being. And even when it's a, you know, the contemplative mind in society, I think that's what they're called. They have this beautiful tree that shows all the different branches, right? Um, of all the different practices that can fall under this, this wider umbrella um, known as contemplative practices. Um, so even if it's a um, movement, a physical movement practice like Tai Chi or Qigong, there's still a mental training. There's still a mental component to it, right? You're like being, you're really following your movement, being very mindful of your movement. So, and we struggled a lot with language. So um, I think we're still struggling with that. So when we met as a work, when we started meeting as a work group, we were like, what do we call the initiative, you know? Because most people, when they think about contemplative practices, they think about mindfulness and meditation and mindfulness meditation um, more specifically. And so, so we struggled with that because there's a lot of baggage um, and assumptions, I would say, about um, mindfulness in particular. Mm -hmm. There's this idea of, I don't know if you've heard of like make mindfulness, you know? And so I haven't heard that term, but I get it. Yeah, there's this, there's so many uh, like, like articles, a like a cheesification of the thing. Yeah, okay. it's this like exploitation via capitalism. You know, it's a the way apps. that yeah, there's everything. Like you can Google, like there's every there's like coloring books and the apps yeah. and mindful everything, like everything. <laughs> you know, and so and it's you know this popular self-help tool that's really been separated from its cultural and spiritual roots you know so ultimately we did go with calling it the contemplative practices in education initiative because we didn't feel comfortable saying the mindfulness in education initiative but also to emphasize that there are that there is more than just one contemplative practice you know um and that mindfulness is just one practice of, of the many. So, yeah, I, I would think that would be challenging because the, even just like you said, the choice of word, how it positions the initiative in a university, um, right? Yeah. How, did, how, how, how was the process for you all getting you saw this need, and of course, especially now with the pandemic, maybe it's even more obvious that there's uh, a need for not just um, focusing on faculty and students' knowledge and skills, but also their energy, their spirit, their ability to, to function, really. Yeah. Um, but how, how did you kind of sell this thing? Or was this something that your your leadership was really on board with? Or is it that it's one of many types of projects that you offer? I mean, as a center, CAT offers, yeah, all kinds of 
programming. We have all kinds of initiatives, like university-wide projects and initiatives, but nothing like this. Um, and we, we, you know, we got together as a work group and we were just like, well, you know, I hope there's interest, you know, um, we see the need, you know, um, and yeah, my, our, the CATS senior director, Leanne Wells, um, we would not have been able to do this without her support. She was on board, like from the beginning. You know, she's like, yes, we're all burnt out, you know, faculty, you know, like they need support, you know, in a different way, you know, um, and, you know, she understood that how we attend to ourselves is how we are then going to attend to others and how we're going to show up in the classroom, in our meetings, when we're drafting emails, right? Um, even, you know, we really want to include more chairs and, and that's in the works, like more administrative programming, you know, because also like how chairs show up in their departmental meetings, you know? Um, yeah. So, she, yeah, so she was really on board. You know, we are a state university with limited funds, you know, and without her support, uh, we wouldn't have been able to set aside every academic year a very small amount you know of funding but very helpful you know amount of funding to be able to invite this person and that person or to get a fellow and, and facilitate a book group and whatnot mm -hmm. and yeah so she's been um integral in yes. this whole process and so we started just like yeah we were just like let's do this you know let's just offer some workshops and then um, a bunch of people show well, by, by a bunch of people. I mean, for, I, I mean, that's relative. Right. right. But uh, I think the first workshop was maybe like uh, 30 people. That's a lot. Which I, right. I mean, to yes. me, that's, that's a lot. That's you a know? lot. And so um, we know that the interest is there in part, not just because of, you know, how people show up, but also because Kat sends an annual survey um, just to get ideas about, well, part of it is to get ideas for future programming, right? But yeah. also um, to get feedback um, in general about programming that they participated in, in in that last academic year. And more and more we see uh, responses from uh, faculty saying we want like I want more mindfulness programming you know more workshops more book groups um for example the book group that I'm facilitating now on trauma mind the trauma sensitive mindfulness is because somebody put it in the survey they were like please facilitate this book group you know and they thank us in the survey or in person honestly yes. um for having this initiative and and they say you know this has really been useful for me you know now I have this this practice, you know, and yeah. it's serving as, as a refuge for me. And I'm experimenting, you know, with um, bringing it to my students so that they can benefit as well. So I, so the interest is there. And now um, exec, our executives are talking about, you know, mindfulness uh, to help with DEI efforts, for example. Mm -hmm. 
you know, um, which you like, we weren't hearing that before. You right. Know? And you're in Florida too. Like, <laughs> we won't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is like an oasis right here. Well, the, 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 the people who are participating, um, do you find that they are uh, a mix of full-time and adjuncts? Do you see um, students coming to like to these uh, events as well? Who, who generally comes? Generally, I would say uh, full-time faculty, we do have some adjuncts. The difficulties with the adjuncts is the timing. Um, I mean, you know, our adjuncts are so busy. Yeah. Um, and so we, re we really want to explore also putting some things on our website that are, that you can just click on a video and there's yeah. a guided meditation on you demand. can do whenever. Yeah, yeah. on demand. Um, so that we can cater more to our part-time uh, faculty, but also graduate instructors come, uh, you know, teaching assistants. And administrators. Um, Wonderful. It's a really yeah. nice way to cross section, yeah. I would think, you know, more than some kind of, you know, some programming is very faculty oriented, but, and chairs would never come and students wouldn't come and staff wouldn't come. But this is like kind of a place where you can really bring different sectors of the campus together. Yeah. Um, and, and that also indirectly creates more of these like, uh, offline relationships, um, yeah. you know, which can eliminate a lot of the bureaucracy and red tape that actually make things hard to do. Once you start to be with people in those, in those events, I would think how um, you've mentioned a few ways that you're looking at impact on the participants. Um, what are your thoughts on how would you conceive of looking at impact of this out on student success or student learning? I know that's a really hard question yeah. I have to ask it, yeah, but um, you know, any thoughts on that? My, my immediate thought is yes, that's very, very difficult. Yeah, to, um, to examine that, that direct you know, impact um, between you know, facu faculty practice and you know, what they're bringing to the classroom and then how it affects student learning, um, student attention, um, engagement. So we have not been doing that formally, but that is definitely a huge goal for us. And we really do hope to contribute to the growing research on contemplative practices in higher education. But at the moment, we have not done it formally. Um, so as far as the impact, we just know what faculty say in the surveys after each workshop, you know, for example, or after a speaker, you know, uh, comes to campus or, or is, you know, has a talk via Zoom we always send a survey. And one of the, the focuses of the survey is how did this talk, how did this workshop, um, what do you plan to, what do you want to adjust in your teaching or incorporate in your teaching as a result of the programming, right? And we get a lot of, 
of rich responses, you know, um, a lot of, uh, you know, I really want to think more about inclusivity and, um, and, you know, just beautiful things that are like, just very compassionate responses, you know, and, um, or, or, pauses, you know, for reflection, you know, being more mindful of at the beginning, having a short pause or whatever. So we get a lot of data with on in our surveys, but now what happens after they implement those changes, we're not sure yet. Right. And we want to, I mean, yeah, we want to think about that more um, systemically and we want to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so, that's like the million dollar question. I, sorry, I have to ask everyone that question because I just no. want to learn myself yeah. um, some of these approaches. But I think this one is um, some things can't be measured, although measurement people don't like to hear that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, this is, this is something that even just to sustain the energy level of faculty for learning more about other approaches, um, that alone, just the community retention. I mean, there's probably a lot of uh, things that this does to positively impact the community. And I was wondering for you personally, um, what has been meaningful to you in being involved in this particular initiative? I mean, you know, your background sounds like it's probably lined up for this. and I'm just wondering for you in the, the role of, of working in faculty development, what, what has this contemplative practices initiative you know, meant for you? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I love my work as a faculty developer, like just in general, you know, I love facilitating workshops, you know, and book groups and, you know, consultations. I love working with faculty and graduate instructors, you know, as they're learning about teaching. Um, I love that connection, but this has just felt so unique. And I feel like it's, to me, it just feels so meaningful, you know, because I feel like we are impacting the university in a different way, in like a, like a deeper way. I mean, not that the, the, the traditional work of a faculty developer does not lead to like, you know, does not have like really deep trans, doesn't lead to deep transformation by, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean that, but you know, like Mindful Mondays, for example, you know, just that we're able to offer this like refuge, like in their day, just like 30 minutes. It's just time for you like we know how busy you are you know Mm -hmm. and here just 30 minutes for you to be with in a in a group you know um with others and feel this sense of community and just take a short break for you it's just for you to cultivate your well-being you know and i always when i facilitate towards the end of the mindfulness uh, of the uh, mindfulness practice i always have a short pause that invites them to thank themselves for making the decision to take that short pause, you know, in their day, because you know how it is. I mean, we're here, there and everywhere, you know? Um, And, and also I feel um, that the work that we're doing 
regarding diver, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how contemplative practices, for example, can help us recognize our unconscious biases and could help us more skillfully and compassionately do the work of racial justice. Um, that is really meaningful for me, that we can contribute in that way, right? And by no means am I saying that like contemplative practices is gonna solve all of our issues, you know? I, I, I don't believe that. Um, but I do think it is a, a support um, for, for everyone, I think. It can be a support for everyone in the university to do this really difficult work of, um, yeah. yeah. Well, Eliana, so. this is, um... This is really a unique and important and probably it's making me think and I'm sure the listeners about what we could do to offer programming that's not always so strictly transactional and you know applied but something that is a little more psychic a little more about the emotions and especially now that people are so fatigued, you know, like I'm very drawn to things that relate to like playful pedagogies and that sort of thing. And I think in a way too, they, they're sort of like, I realized the, the other side of contemplative because they also create a sense of community and of joy and of being present. And you can actually talk about more difficult topics, um, have those critical conversations once people feel more at ease with each other. And, and this is more of a peaceful approach, but I think both of them are ways of being or thinking and um, are challenging to our traditional ways of thinking about what faculty do with students and what we then have to do with faculty that can be, um, I think, caught up too much in in, in ideas about what the academy is or hierarchies or, and they, they're distancing. Um, they're distancing for us as colleagues or faculty to student. Um, and so I'm looking forward to diving in a little more into some of your resources. And in the show notes, Ileana is gonna share with us some of, some of the readings she would recommend and uh, as well as I love that tree. I used to have that printed out. I got to pull it out again. Um, but when I would look at it, I realized like there are a lot of errors in this tree I need to work on. So finally, I just took the tree down. Like, <laughs> There's too many issues in my life. Um, the but, tree was feeling, it was feeling aggressive. The tree was the feeling tree aggressive. Was like, you're, yeah. you're not doing too good here. You're not doing too good there. Yeah. Uh, it's like, let me chop this tree down. I'm not going to look at it, um, but no. <laughs> Uh, I think it's wonderful. And I hope anyone uh, out there who also is doing similar programming will connect with Ileana. Yes, I think please. this would be a wonderful area um, to do some, some publication. We had a recent uh, event in our center on um, sort of coping with the reentry uh, after the pandemic, um, this sort of social emotional side. And it was a panel with um, students as well as um, faculty from our um, school of social work. And it was incredible how many faculty showed up to this event and staff to hear, you know, um, 
really how challenging things were. And it was so emotional. It was really powerful to hear the students. And the thing that the students kept saying was really the only thing that helped them kind of keep on going and cope were professors. The professors who showed them a lot of grace, the professors who understood where they were coming from, who reached out to check on them, who gave them alternative deadlines, um, helped them reach the finish line. Yes. You know, that reminds me of we had for, la uh, for last, for this year's, you know, with the pandemic, like my, the timeline, yes, I, I just, I don't even know what, you know, I still don't know what day it is half the time. But anyways, this year for the that showcase that I mentioned, we had Dr. Mays Ahmad, um, who's a neuroscience trauma, um, and uh, she is an expert in trauma-informed pedagogy. Oh my gosh, she's so wonderful. And, you know, she talked about, you know, how everything that's been going on, you know, how it dysregulates our nervous system, you know, and how when we're dysregulated, when you're so overwhelmed with chronic stress, you know, um, or if you, you know, experience a loss, you know, um, or traumatic stress, even, you know, how difficult it is to learn uh, our prefrontal cortex is like offline you know and what can we do as educators to help our students you know navigate all the uncertainty you know all the anxiety you know um and i i really recommend um her work because she's such a compassionate she's just such a compassionate beautiful human being um, and that's the lens that she uses when she talks about, you know, my informed yes. pedagogy. Um, so, yeah, and the initiative, you know, we, we do hope to kind of have the same message and the same vibe. And you talking, uh, something that you mentioned earlier reminded me that in our work as faculty developers, we really want to send this message that we're, we see you. We see all of you, you know, because sometimes, or maybe oftentimes, we get so caught up, you know, in the message about the metrics, and you got to meet this, and you got to meet that, and you change this, and you got to change that, and, you know, um, that our faculty are really, really overwhelmed, you know, one more initiative, you know, university-wide initiative comes on the scene, and they're like, oh, yes. thing, you know, we just want to step back and say we see you and we see all of you and we really want to have this more holistic approach in the work that we have with our faculty um that's beautiful yeah. well uh we see you eliana and we thank you uh so much for your time this morning um from tropical breezy <laughs> Florida. Um, Very hot. We're tropical and breezy here too. I think we're, we're on the same system right now here in New York. Oh, okay. Uh, but thank you so much, Eliana, for your time. And um, we all really appreciate the work you do. Thank you, Laura, for having me. It was a pleasure meeting you. And I hope that we can connect at some other point. Yeah? Absolutely.